it's funny we joked about like one of our early uh we did okrs early on so objectives and key results one of our first okrs was sell a policy without getting arrested so <laughs> sell a policy okay. in a way that actually was in line with the laws and regulations that govern how insurance is sold right so there's you know some pretty serious implications when you're when you're working in a space that's this regulated Welcome to Uptech Report. This is our Founders Journey series. Uptech Report is sponsored by TerraLeap. Learn how to leverage the power of video at terraleap.io. Today, I am excited to be joined again by my guest, Tim Metzner, who's based in Cincinnati, Ohio. He's the co-founder and chief strategy officer at Coterie. Welcome, Tim. Good to have you back on. Thank you. I'm excited to be here, especially for the Founders Journey. That's, uh, that one's even more near and dear to my heart than as much as I love technology. Uh, I have a big heart for founders and entrepreneurs. So it's not an easy road, <laughs> not, not an easy or simple, simple road. Uh, for those that want to learn more, though, about Quotary and actual business that he's built, go back and listen to part one of our discussion. Um, but this one, we're really going to be hearing more about the story itself. Quotary is, is a commercial insurance platform. They're, they're focused on, on serving other software platforms as well as agents and brokers. They started as a as a API first company and they kind of built out from there. But take me back, Tim, like even before um, Codery, you've been in, in, in technology for a while, right? Um, take, like how did you even get it involved in technology? What led you to, to, to starting this company? And this isn't your first company either that, that you've built. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I tell people all the time I caught the bug early on um, and uh, I've never had a real job quote unquote. So uh, literally going back to college, <clears throat> I was in an, an honors business program that required co-op. So that meant like every other quarter, one quarter you'd be in class, the next quarter you have to go get a job. And in most cases, those jobs are with, you know, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we've got a bunch of Fortune 500. So that might be with Procter & Gamble or with Kroger or with, you know, Fifth Third Bank or one of the amazing organizations we have around town, there was this program I was in was really kind of built to build the future leaders, you know, of our corporate um, kind of citizens and sponsored by them. So most of my classmates were going and getting these amazing co-op jobs, you know, very early on as early as a freshman in college um, uh, with these awesome organizations. And uh, instead I got a job with a startup. <laughs> so I, yeah, like, I forget these big founder. businesses. That's yeah. right. Yeah. I, I met a founder who had, built and sold his company to eBay. And this was in the, uh, this was like the year 2000 when I met him. Um, so just after, you know, the dot-com craziness, but he had survived that. So he had built a company in the late nineties um, and uh, it, it was a company called Up For Sale and it ended up being eBay's first ever acquisition. And it was right before eBay IPO'd. So wow. he got pre-IPO stock in eBay as part of this acquisition did really well, if you know the eBay story, and use that as a springboard to go start this other company. And I met him as he was doing his earnout with eBay and on the side, doing a side hustle to start this another this company called Spark People. And wow. I'm like, man, I just want to go learn from this guy. Like, I, don't, <laughs> yes. I don't even care what I do. I don't even understand what this company does. I just want to go learn from him. So I was yes. employee number five at a startup as a co-op in college. Wow. And the combination of uh, fast-paced, um, mission-based organization, small team doing an incredible amount of things, you know, for the size we were, like really, you know, kind of out, out punching our weight class, so to speak. Um, that, I just fell in love with that. And, Is this and spark so people? I never looked back. Spark people. So S-P-A-R-K. Yeah. P-E-O-P-L-E. 
yeah. that was your, your first job, really. That was my first, it was my first job, first co-op. I mean, I had some good old fashioned, like work in a garage, all that kind of, you know, some hard early stuff in high school. First real job uh, was, was with Spark People. With a, so already from there, startup. being able to, to, to see that as an example, someone who was able to exit their company at eBay pre-IPO and then start their next one, you're, you're in there, you see that, that energy and then you just had that desire, like, I want to do this. Yes. And the two things I think that most am, like stood out that have, have left an impression on me are, number one, the power of uh, entrepreneurship to be a force for good, like the amount of good that building a company and building a good culture can provide to those around it, like that stuck with me. Um, and then the second part of that is like the power of technology. So being a technology first organization, like, you know, for us, we were a small scrappy team in Cincinnati, Ohio, and we ended up reaching, you know, when I was there, even uh, over 30 million people across the world and help them reach their health and fitness goals by building this online kind of platform and, and figuring out the power of online community before social media was even a thing. So just seeing the power of like digital and technology um, really just impressed on me like, holy cow, there's an opportunity to change the world through technology. And I want to be a part of that throughout my career. And you, you were actually with Spark People for, for a while and you were uh, in the marketing, led, led marketing for them? Yep, that's right. So I, I studied marketing in college, um, although as a, at the time, I'll tell you, marketing in college was more like brand marketing for P&G. It was not customer acquisition, growth marketing, growth hacking, as they call it today. Like, so I was learning all of that stuff in my job and on the side, like, how do you do SEO? What is SEO? How do you do like paid search in the early days of the, you know, the web? So I was learning like self learning this, um, this stuff it, kind of in the, in the co-op job. And I just fell in love with um, both user acquisition and retention. So the idea that like you want to acquire users, but also how do we actually keep them around and solve problems for them and then, you know, get value out of that community or out of that user over time. So that, that's kind of what I was doing. And then how did it go, go from Spark People to what was in between from Spark People and Coterie then? So there's a, a company called Differential that I helped start, um, which was uh, today, uh, I would describe it as a startup studio or a venture studio because that's sort of become a, a known thing. Um, at the time, though, that wasn't really an established model. So we were sort of trailblazing and the, the genesis for it was, um, you know, 2013, right? Yes, this was 2013. Uh, and basically, it was like I had pretty decent startup experience at that point, had made some mistakes, had learned a bunch. Um, and I looked around at the kind of Midwest ecosystem and I saw a bunch of like people who wanted to be entrepreneurs who had ideas that evolved around technology, but had no technology experience. Mm -hmm. And there was just like this big disconnect between like really deep industry expertise. Like, think of the person who worked in R&D at P&G for 30 years and had like really great domain expertise and saw an, a, an opportunity to build like a tech platform for R&D for, for corporates, right? That, that wasn't a real thing, but that, that's a great example of like, he doesn't know the first thing about how to build a tech platform, but he knows how it can be valuable to that industry, right? So we just saw this like gap between really great experienced, sharp people who wanted to do something using technology, but didn't know how to do it. And felt like I built a pretty good network of folks who actually did know how to build technology products in, in software. Um, and we said, look, what would it look like to act like co-founders? To come around people with expertise and invest our time instead of our dollars to help, help get them launched. Um, so we launched Differential and said, 
we would love to partner with entrepreneurs for equity. We would love to build our own stuff and we should do some services work too, to help keep the lights on. But that was really like a, an afterthought initially. Um, so that's what we did. We launched, we bootstrapped initially and then raised some capital around it. And, um, you know, eventually launched a couple products, uh, a couple of which are still up and going and look really interesting, kind of venture backed high growth companies that spun out of, of kind of the differential studio. So had a blast doing that uh, in between uh, Coterie and, and uh, Spark people. And, you know, really the, what ended up happening at differential is we spun out a lot of those technology companies and the fastest growing part of differential was our service company. So we built a team around scaling this, you know, really digital innovation service company where we would act as almost like a product team for hire. So you're a larger organization and you say, we need to leverage technology to solve this problem. We would guide you through a sprint to help identify what that looks like, rapidly test it, and then prototype it. And then if it got greenlit, we would actually build a product team around that and go act as product owners for you. So Differential is still doing that today. Scaled that for a few years, had a ton of fun, like loved building the culture, loved building the team, but I couldn't help but shake. And I told my partners this when we shifted to this model. I'm like, at some point, I'm going to want to build again uh, because I walk in every day and I see our team, which is so dang talented, but they're building other people's products. Like mm -hmm. I want to, it feels get like my hands on leveraging this resource, right? Yes. Uh, so I wanted to get back to building something, take sort of a like bigger swing, quote unquote. Um, and uh, that led me to insurance as, as kind of a category where I was like, this could be a really interesting place to, to do that. So it was like 2018 or probably like 2017, you were pondering this. And yep. then 2018, you, you decided to make the decision. All right, let's change things up. Yep. About midway through 2018, I had a conversation with my partners. I was like, hey, we're, we've got pretty good profit now. Things are going well. Like we could keep reinvesting that profit and growing the service company, or we could invest in building something like build a product company. And we, we honestly, we unanimously came to the same decision of, that would probably be a bad idea based on the culture we've built um, because we didn't build a product company. We built a service company. And the reality was a lot of our developers came out of like high tech venture back companies and were kind of just done grinding. Like they needed a respite from that. Like they wanted to have a little bit different speed and pace of life. And we provided that for them. They could still work on amazing high tech technology, um, build really cool stuff but without that high growth, high tech pressure that comes with kind of venture money. So we, we unanimously agreed. It didn't make sense to try and do that within differential. So, you know, I, I, I tell people, I basically fired myself by saying that like, okay, then it's probably time for me to, to go move on and do something wow. else. So I spent the last part of, you know, the second half of 2018 kind of winding out, winding myself out of day to day, making sure I landed the plane well there and, and starting to think about what might be next. Hmm. So you fire yourself, you want to get out of that uh, that um, that company, and then say now it's time to to start a new one. For for Coterie, did you get then funding as well to get that started? Did you bootstrap at the beginning. How did it begin? Yeah. So when I met um, my co-founder and our CEO David and and Kevin, who's the third co-founder and our COO, um, they had already uh, started. So concept was pretty well formed in David's mind. He's the actuary. He came from insurance. He had this vision for. Here's how we can leverage technology to do it different. How did you guys meet? Serendipitous. So he moved to Cincinnati to start a tech company. And uh, Cincinnati is a decent ecosystem, but it's not that big. So most people you know, who, who come to Cincinnati get pointed in my direction pretty quickly just because I've kind of been around the tech scene long enough. They're like, hey, go talk to Tim. He'll, he'll help make some intros for you. And 
you know, give you some feedback. And I just love doing that. So I do like those kind of founder coffees all the time. That's all it was like, we just got together over coffee to meet. And he had no idea I was thinking about what might be next. But uh, I remember walking away from that coffee and texting my wife and going, you're not going to believe this, but I think I found my next thing already. <laughs> uh, so that was it. We got yeah, mutual friend connected us over coffee. And uh, I fell in love with his vision for it and felt like I could be an asset on uh, on this founding team. Got to see the, the the three of you come together. Him started with yep. that idea, and you're like, all right, let's let's make this happen. And what were the kind of the the, the stepping stones from there? Yeah, so started you know immediately he started kind of hacking on it on the side, mostly on like kind of creating the vision for it, um, and then raised a little bit of angel capital um, from some folks who believed in that early vision enough to really hire. You know, a couple contractors first and then a full timer. Um, and we what were was the first to, hire there? Um, I think it, we had two devs that came on around the same time. And I can't remember if it was a, it was a front end and a back end um, okay. dev. And both came on around the same time. Both started as contractors uh, and eventually would become uh, full time uh, employees. But uh, yeah. basically, we brought on the resources we need to build that early prototype, you know, to start building. Yeah. How long did it take to, to build the, the first prototype? Uh, actual working, like we're able to sell insurance or so remember, we're kind of this dual headed product monster. Like there's the insurance product you have to build and right. file and wait for state approvals. And there's the technology product. So, you know, it took more than a year for us to actually get to market with a, to sell like our first policy um, because you are, you know, you're absolutely beholden by, the regulate state regulators and you can't even file with those guys until you have a pretty tight story. So there is a ton of work to do. You have to get an insurance company to give you permission. You have to get a reinsurance company to say, we're going to take most of the risk on your, you know, on the, on the products you're writing, like on the book that you build. Uh, and then you have to build the technology to actually do all the stuff you say you're going to do. So it was, it required, you know, more capital than I would like to get to market, but you're building an insurance company effectively. Right. So, Right. Um, you know, we raised uh, a decent chunk of capital before we ever wrote our first, um, you know, our first policy, which it, it's a moat in this space, to be honest with you. Like, you, you can't just throw two developers in a room and, and build an insurance company. Like, it requires some pretty yeah. significant, like, um, upfront infrastructure building table stakes. It's funny. We joked about, like, one of our early, uh, we did OKRs early on, so objectives and key results. One of our first OKRs was sell a policy without getting arrested. So <laughs> sell a policy okay. in a way that actually was in line with the laws and regulations that govern how insurance is sold. Right. So there's, you know, some pretty serious implications when you're, when you're working in a space that's this regulated. Yeah, quite an OKR to have. Let's, <laughs> right. let's sell our product and not get, uh, get arrested for it. Uh, Which fortunately we were able to check that box eventually. So <laughs> that's a good, good one to check. So, right. so from, from there, your, your whole role there as, as kind of strategy and growth officer, has it always been the same? Has it always just been like the, 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 the messaging? Cause coming from, I guess, a marketing background strictly, is that where you've been playing the biggest role? It's really been thinking about distribution. So, you know, how do we sell insurance? We all sort of agreed early on going direct to small business didn't make sense. Um, we thought that it was uh, too, it was cost prohibitive, number one, like trying to acquire customers in this space, like the cost per acquisition is just super, super high. Um, again, it's also just like a complicated process. So 
we believed we could create a better experience if we could leverage the data that other tools and services already had, right? So that was, again, you know, going back to our earlier conversation on API first, we believed there were products and companies and services that had most of the data we needed for underwriting, that if we could embed insurance, do a connected, you know, product, like we could pull that data in and make it a really seamless process where it's like, as an entrepreneur, as a business owner, you can answer two questions that are pretty easy to answer and we'll get the rest from a platform that already exists. So that thinking about that though, that kind of go to market strategy has been a lot of what I've thought about is like, how do we get to market? What are those kind of channels and segments? And that has evolved over time, right? Like we intentionally avoided agents and brokers initially, um, not because we didn't think they were important because we felt like if we solved this harder problem first, it would be much easier to run after that channel today. Like in hindsight, I would tell you that's, I think it was probably a mistake. Um, and the different, the reason for that is, you know, I, when I get a chance to talk to entrepreneurs in classes and, and uh, universities and things like that, I always use the um, painkiller versus vitamin analogy. So mm-hmm. early on, I talked to people about like, if you want to build momentum in an early stage startup, selling a painkiller is way easier than selling a vitamin. And I use this story. I say, listen, if I leave the house in the morning on my way to work and I realize I forget to take my vitamin, what do you think the chances are that I stop to buy a vitamin on the way to work? Zero, right? Yes. If, on the other hand, I feel a migraine coming on and I realize I don't have medicine on me. Like, you better believe I'm going to stop and buy medicine and I'm willing to spend more for it at the corner store than I need to because I need it right now. And so that's not to say you can't build a great vitamin company, but when you're solving a pain for someone, it's way easier. So if you go to a platform like QuickBooks and you tell them insurance should be a part of their ecosystem, that's a nice to have. That's a vitamin. They go, okay, sure. I get it. What we do is accounting. Like insurance isn't really super core to what we do, but I see how it could add value. So really cool. Let's talk about that. If you go to an agent or broker who's already selling a small business policy today, but they realize it's a pain in their butt and they're losing money on it and it takes them more time than they need. And you go, hey, we can simplify that for you. They get pretty darn excited. So in hindsight, maybe we ought to start, we, maybe we should have started there uh, and said like, hey, you've got a problem. We've got a solution. We probably could have built quicker momentum had we started there in hindsight. 2020 hindsight is always uh, <laughs> wonderful, but doesn't doesn't really help you. And it's it's almost that discovery. Sometimes you just have to get into it. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you actually, what what did you wish you knew three years ago that you knew now? But it sounds like it might have been that. What would you say that kind of going forward um, um, is kind of the next biggest hurdle that you're going to have to overcome to be able to keep growing and scaling? I think it's the scale portion of like. You know, because of the way we're distributing insurance, like we are growing very rapidly. Um, and so with that comes two really important customers we have to serve super well. Our policyholder, certainly, right? So the ability for a policyholder to file a claim, to make a claim, to change their policy, to get new policy docs, like we have to service that policyholder really, really well. Traditionally, the way insurance has done that is they throw more bodies at it. Right. So we believe technology can enable humans to service people better. So we've got a technology layer, but a lot of that, frankly, is vision still. Like we've got to execute on a lot of that still. So there's a lot of kind of infrastructure building on the servicing side that still needs to happen. But we've also got to service our partners really well. So whether that be agents and brokers or our, you know, our technology channel partners, like 
they have a high expectation of what a partnership should look like. Um, and so you need a whole team around that to say, how can we be helping you sell Coterie better? It's like, we always think about like, how do I turn you into a policy producing machine? A lot of that right now, again, it's kind of high touch human stuff. Like, tell me about your business. Tell me about your customers. Tell me about how you interact. Tell me about your agency. And we build a relationship and that works super well. Also not super scalable, right? So how can we start to automate at least some parts of that process uh, in a way that helps us go faster um, without losing sight of servicing those guys really well? For building uh, this team that you have over two, three years, how big is the team today? Close to 90 um, today now, uh, which kind of crazy growth from an employee count. I think we were 20 last summer. So it's been pretty crazy growth. Yeah. From a head count. How do you manage that, that growth and truly hire the right people for the right jobs to create the right results? Yeah. This uh, this is one of the reasons I keep starting companies is because I love this. Like I, I love seeing people come alive in their career. It's one of my favorite parts about being an entrepreneur is like when you put someone in their lane in an environment where they feel empowered and supported, like it's so cool to watch someone not just do really good work, but become better mothers, better like husbands and wives and like better parts of their community. Like it's just really, they get more into their hobbies. Like, I don't know, there's something really special about when people love their job and they enjoy what they're doing and they feel like they're doing good work. This is really cool to see people come alive. So we think an awful lot about culture. One of the terms I've used across my companies I've been a part of is uh, I ask the question regularly, how can we overinvest in culture right now? Like, how do we, how can we spend more time or resources on building a great place to work than like in a way that others would look at and go, you're stupid. Like you're an early stage startup. Why the heck are you even thinking about this stuff? And I go, because you can't back into good culture. Like you can't in two years realize like we've, we've got this amazing company and now let's build a good culture. Like it doesn't work that way. You can't attract and retain talent if you do it that way. So we think an awful lot about like certainly getting hiring right, which to us looks like, do they align with our four core values? Do we think they actually are going to uniquely add value? So we, we try and avoid like culture fit and we look for culture add. So like, how are you going to stretch us in some way to make us a better place for other people who are already here? And then the third thing is hiring based on superpowers. Cause again, we want to give you a chance to win. So does your, do your superpowers align with the need that we have right now with that hole we're trying to fill? And when all those things are true, like magic happens, right? So we take a lot of time and care to, to sort of vet and, uh, and pull the thread on, on all of those things early on. Over investing in culture now, not backing into it later. What a powerful pr- perspective. Cause that is like, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. But that, it does show up in, in different ways, uh, the issues there. I, it's, this, it's almost like this journey over, over both probably being around that initial uh, startup founder who just you were able probably to see that, that leadership, that experience. And then throughout also, uh, sounds like helping other startups grow and learn. There's like all these little lessons learned over the years. If, if for you, obviously your role has changed over the years. I'm just curious, how do you, what does your day, normal day look like? How do you manage your time? Cause there's only so much of you and time that you have. So what's a, a typical day look like for you? It, it, you know what it's, it evolves all the time and it's evolving again for me. It feels like every three months, three to six months in a startup, like you have to kind of reinvent yourself, right? You're like, here's the thing I was doing before. 
is that still the right way to spend my time today? Um, so a great example is like we recently just bought, brought on a chief go-to-market officer. He is significantly more experienced and senior at, than me at building growth teams. And I will tell you just candidly, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done in my career because I basically hired my replacement. I was looking for someone who could come and help build like process and systems on the sales side that can, because I'm not a process systems guy. So that's, I was trying to fill that box, like check that box and bring someone in to help level us up. And I came across this guy, uh, Phillips, his name, and he's, you know, kind of serial entrepreneur with exits. He's led global teams at, you know, Microsoft and these massive organizations. Um, and he's got the battle wounds that, that I don't have. And I looked at him and I go like, Oh crap. If I hire this guy, he's uh he's not reporting to me. <laughs> he's taking over growth. And by the way, if I look at our team and I really care about investing in this team and investing in coterie, like I can't not make this hire. We can't not talk to this guy. If we can get him, we should get him. Um, because wow. our team will grow faster. Like we will avoid pitfalls. But for me, that means like, okay, I have to reinvent myself again. Like, great, how what's the highest and best use of my time at coterie now? Right. So Right now, I'm starting to think a lot about, um, you know, kind of future state and like beyond these three products we have today, like what I do well is launch, right? So what's the next horizon? What's the next, what's the ground we should be tilling today so that we're not sort of resting on our laurels? So thinking about stuff like that and uh, and really getting out there and, and talking about Coterie kind of more publicly now that we're launched. So really, honestly, I'm kind of fresh in it right now thinking about like, what's the best way to use my talents at Coterie today now that we've evolved again? That, that takes some incredible uh, self-confidence to reinvent yourself continually, even hiring your, your replacement, someone that's not going to report to you really is that they're just going to take it and run with it. And then you have to change. That's yeah, that is powerful. Well, I, I really appreciate the sharing this journey that in many ways is, is just beginning uh, for, for, for on you and for, for Coterie and excited to see where you go next. Um, for those, again, that want to learn more about Coterie, go back and listen to part one of our discussion and can dig into that. Um, and thanks again for your time, Tim. It's great to have you on. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Alexander. Absolutely. We'll see you guys on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know.